You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello, and welcome to 3CR's Radioactive Show. This show is produced on the lands of Naitahu, Ngati Mamoi, and Waitaha at Ohineho, or Littleton, in Aotearoa, for 3CR, which is located on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung lands. I pay my respects to elders past and present from across these sovereign nations, whose right to self-determination is yet to be recognised by the unauthorised colonial states that have been set up on their lands. The Radioactive Show is distributed across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network and brought to you with the financial support of the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. My name is AC. In today's show, we'll hear interviews from Indigenous leaders attending the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change Conference of Parties, or COP27, which has been happening from November 6th to 18th in Sham al-Sheikh, Egypt. These interviews, conducted by Cultural Survival for their Indigenous Rights Radio program, were recorded at preparatory meetings, the Traditional Knowledge Holders Meeting, and the Indigenous Peoples Pavilion, which was part of the COP27 conference. We'll start with Pastor Ray Minikon. My name is Pastor Ray Minikon. I am from the Kabi people on my father's side and the Gurang Gurang people on my mother's side. And my grandfather is from Ambram Island in Vanuatu. How does climate change affect our immediate community? Well, 250 years ago, we were living in a very, very pristine, rich environment. We were looking after our own affairs and not interfering with anyone else's until the British came in 1788 and invaded our country. And in those last 200 and so years, we have seen the incredible destruction of our lands, of our waters, of our air, of our animals, of our peoples. And uh, that's only happened in the last 200 years. So climate change started way back then. It's not something new for us. It's something that has been with us all of those years. These kind of conversations are a lot of talk and no action. I haven't seen any of the kind of mitigation strategies that they talk about uh, or they sprout uh, from from all quarters, whether it be the fossil fuel industry or our governments or some other scientist. Uh, There's a lot of talk, talk, talk. And it's all just blah, 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 as that young girl said. (laughs) And there's no action. There's no action, especially when you know that indigenous peoples are at the coal face of climate change because it's on our lands. We're not going anywhere and we don't want to go anywhere, but it's our lands that are being affected. It's our waters, it's our rivers, it's our air, it's our animals, it's our plant life, it's our food sources. All of that is being affected by climate change. So I don't see any ways in which COP, any COP, can actually remedy our situation, whether it be the United Nations or even even our national governments. But then again, I'm a cynic. 
we, we've known how to deal with uh, uh, climate crises. So we've dealt with these things over and over and over again. What we have found difficult to deal with isn't our own climate change or our mother, because our mother is teaching us all the time and also helping us to adapt to all of the struggles that she goes through in the ways in which we're dealing with the, the climate, climate uh, crisis that we have seen. But we now have uh, another nation there that doesn't understand the ways in which... They don't understand the secrets of our land, the mysteries of our land, and they don't know how to manage our land how we have done for so many years. So, yeah, I don't know what COP can do about that. I don't know what our national government can do about that. I don't know what anyone can do about it. My name is Sele Tangevuni. I am from the Fiji Islands. I represent the Vatukaloko uh, tribal people, one of the tribes that owns more than 17,000 acres of traditional communal land, but it is still crown freehold now, owned by government from our past government of, uh, legacy. For me, climate change, because in this land we have two big corporations, that one extracts water from the aquifer and the other one plants Fiji pine, pine forest. So these two are somewhat contradicting each other. They conflict each other. So at the end of the day, the tribal people are losing our sources of water and there's drought, unexpected drought, elongated droughts. And what I am here for, to fight for our local communities and indigenous people, my expectation for COP27 is to make sure that the local people to are fully respected and appreciated with their right to clean natural environment and the sovereignty and the sanctity of them being owners of this tribal heritage. My name is Aminatu Gambo. I am from Cameroon and I work with FIMI, the International Indigenous Women's Forum. Uh, I am representing the Mbororo Pastoralis uh, communities in, from Cameroon. And uh, some of the impacts of climate change that are affecting uh, the pastoralist women is based on um, drought, uh, which is a very, uh, because of the lifestyle that indigenous people are, the Bororo indigenous people do, uh, as pastoralists, drought is uh, very essential. And there's also in situations of uh, the rivers are drying out, and this impacts them a lot and changes their way of life uh, because they practice transhumans, and this is a very big uh, issue with the communities. Uh, I think um, as indigenous women, uh, what we can do in, at the international level in order to mitigate climate change or to participate in the climate, uh, climate change action is to participate actively and also to advocate, have seats on the table and be able to give um, uh, contribute to the policies that the government are making. This will have, be able to help us to define how to solve the solutions because we know the solutions better than the the other governments who are not living with the communities. Yeah, thank you. Hello, I'm Kola Ishatumanu, 
I'm coming from Cameroon. I belong to the Bororo Indigenous Pastoralist Community. And uh, basically, climate change climate change has really impacted on our lives, especially that of women and girls. Uh, we, we now uh, see uh, new diseases appearing within our communities that we never had before. The, we have lack of potable water in our communities. We have, uh, the, the, we, as pastoralists, we also have issues with the grazing. So our, pastor, our pasture is dying and our animals are also dying. So uh, we have lost of biodiversity. Our forests are being destroyed as well. So uh, I would wish uh, for this COP for them to respect the pledge they took for COP26 and equally uh, give direct finances to indigenous organizations so that they can work at the grassroots level in order for them to change the narrative because we are the holders of knowledge and we are not involved in decisions when they are taken. So we urge the decision makers to ensure that indigenous voices are taken into consideration and that the aspect of loss and damage is also taken into consideration for us to ensure that right, uh, the rights of indigenous communities are respected. I am Joanne Carling. I am a Kankanae from the Philippines and I am an indigenous activist working with the Indigenous People's Rights International. I've been participating in the COP or the ne- negotiations on climate change in the past years and indigenous peoples are engaging in this process because our rights are threatened to be violated and in fact are violated by some of the solutions to climate change that are being proposed as well as that our contributions as stewards of nature are not being recognized. Uh, so with that engagement, indigenous peoples are able to, uh, to uh, facilitate the establishment of the local communities and indigenous peoples platform on traditional knowledge, which recognizes the contributions of indigenous peoples to climate change adaptation and mitigation using indigenous people's knowledge as equally important uh, as uh, scientific knowledge. So that is already a big uh, milestone or a milestone um, in the engagement of indigenous peoples in the climate change negotiations. However, on the other side, the violations of indigenous people's rights continue to happen. Uh, In fact, we're coming out with a report uh, we're showcasing the violations of indigenous people's rights in the just transition, uh, particularly with the transitional minerals where it, it gives a new mandate for more mining in the territories of indigenous peoples that will certainly violate our rights to our lands, territories and resources and, F- and free prior and informed consent. That's one. On the other hand, the drive also for conservation in the name of national parks is again a major threat of of eviction because of the prevailing fortress conservation. So these are the critical issues. In addition to that is the lack of financial support for indigenous peoples to be able to cope and mitigate the impacts of climate change in our territories. So my expectation for this uh, for for this year is that uh, the, the states that have committed to provide funding for indigenous peoples should walk the talk deliver what you commit uh, because that is urgently needed that's one second is the 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 issue of the loss and damage that should be finally decided in this cup because many countries including my country in the philippines is suffering and we are not getting the the global solidarity and support through loss and damage compensation for uh that that should be the responsibility also of the rich countries there was joan curling 
who is taking part in COP27 as an Indigenous representative. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR and distributed on the Community Radio Network. We'll continue with interviews from COP27, conducted by Cultural Survival, whose Indigenous Rights Radio team were on the ground in Egypt for the conference. So, Anin, Bojo, uh, Grammarine, Indigenous Cars, Ottawa, Nonjaba, Makoto Dam, Anishinaabe, and Dao. Uh, I'm Graham Reed, one of the co-chairs of the International Indigenous Peoples Forum on Climate Change. I grew up in Ottawa. Um, I have uh, English and Scottish heritage on my dad's side and German in Anishinaabe from the Great Lakes. And my great-grandfather was born, from, born on Wakumakong, uh, unceded territory on Manitoulin Island. Uh, I think COP has a mixed success, um, and I, I guess it depends on how you frame success, but for Indigenous peoples, COP has, has been a space where we've been increasing our invo- and, or influence over the course of, of the last uh, almost two and a half decades, even within the last five years with the adoption of the Paris Agreement and the, the rights-based commitment within the preamble. We've seen how that's translated to an increasing number of decisions that have upheld and safeguarded the rights of Indigenous peoples, including the creation of the facilitative working group of the local communities and Indigenous peoples platform, which is a constituted body, a formal body within the UNFCCC that has Indigenous representation, seven of which, and, and state representation. There is also the Indigenous Peoples Constituency, which is you know, an important parallel and political voice for the advocacy of, of Indigenous peoples throughout the COP. At this COP, uh, you know, our expectations are, are pretty similar to what they always are. This is a COP for implementation. Our implementation expectations are that we take urgent and transformative climate action in line with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report, which means we need to reduce at least 50% reductions by 2030. You know, we can no longer rely on these uh, technologies and market-based solutions that don't address the structural and systemic issues that Indigenous peoples face, including capitalism and colonization, both of which manifest in how the UNFCCC is actually designed. And so Indigenous peoples their nations and their governments are seen as observers and not seen as nations parallel to states. And so I guess, you know, for us, there's there's important role for Indigenous peoples to participate in this process, but it, we have to recognize that it's not our process. And so, you know, why we're here today talking with the Indigenous Caucus is to really create that parallel network of Indigenous-led uh, transformative climate action and really create the kind of ceremony ground for us to work together in an active and thoughtful way, in a way that protects our rights, our knowledge systems, and our full and effective participation. So, Jimmy Gwich. I'm Grace Balawag. I'm from the Philippines. I belong to the Igurut Kankanaoy uh, ethnic group. When I left to come here and went to the capital city, there was a big typhoon or a strong, strong storm affecting our communities. There were land erosions. There were displacement of our villages because of these flash floods and uh, there were some uh, casualties when I left and uh, even when we went to the airport the typhoon was really strong and this is one of the main problems in the Philippines because it's in the Pacific uh, Ocean grid as well as in between there is China Sea on the other end so uh, typhoon is a very regular 
uh, climate change uh, impact and it really displaces our communities, our economies, especially that we are agriculture-based community. We are joining the climate justice action campaigns. This is basically to negotiate for a financial mechanism for loss and damage, especially non-economic damages that is being caused by all of these floods. At the same time, displacement of indigenous peoples' communities because of these climate change impacts. In other parts of the world, indigenous peoples are also very much impacted on droughts. So the livelihoods and economic uh, uh, life is really dis- uh, dislocated because of this climate change impacts that we experience. We had been uh, negotiating for direct uh, support in terms of logistics, technical, as well as fund support directly to indigenous people's communities because we have all these funds around, but it is through governments and international government or non-government organizations. And, you, uh, uh, and most of the time, indigenous peoples are not included in the in this direct access for fund support. And uh, we are, have been pushing that with the Standing Finance Committee, with the Green Climate Fund, and uh, we hope to get this. It is also related to our campaign on finance mechanism for loss and damage because of the damages experienced by our local communities. We really need direct support to restore our livelihoods and economic system. My name is uh, Peter Peter Irnik. I am a Canadian. I am an Inuit representative, um, also an Inuit uh, indigenous holder. I come from the Arctic Canada in a place called uh, Nunavut. Nunavut means uh, our land in my language. And uh, we are continuing to be a hunting society in Nunavut. We've been hunting uh, animals for thousands and thousands of years, so we continue to hunt animals for uh, lively, livelihood purposes. And um, we uh, supplement our uh, food from the land animals as well as from the sea mammals. So we hunt caribou, we hunt seals, we hunt beluga whales, we hunt walrus, and we also hunt bowhead, and we also hunt uh, polar bear. So. Um, um, it's our way of life uh, to hunt animals. It's been our way of life since thousands and thousands of years ago. Uh, so we have always been free, uh, traditionally, to hunt uh, animals that we live from. Today, we continue to be Inuit hunting society. Uh, we still hunt, even though we don't live in an igloo anymore. We live in wooden houses. We continue to hunt for uh, um, survival, survival of our people. The, uh, how the uh, climate change and global warming has impacted uh, our uh, Arctic is that uh, it has become very dangerous for us. Uh, global warming is a problem. It's unpredictable. Uh, for example, ice doesn't get as thick as it used to. Uh, so uh, sometimes we have uh, old people, the elders, who were uh, very uh, knowledgeable in terms of uh, traditional knowledge of the ice. Uh, Sometimes they fall through the ice. Uh, Most of the time they are lucky, but some uh, are not as lucky as other people. They fall through the ice while traveling on the uh, ice with a snowmobile, 
for example, hunting and uh, sometimes I die. That's unfortunate part. Uh, weather forecasting, traditional uh, forecasting is no longer the same as it used to be in my father's time and in my time. My father used to uh, do weather forecasting and, and he knew it was going to be a nice weather tomorrow by looking at the looking at the clouds, looking at the sky, direction of the wind. And um, tomorrow it's a nice day, so he and I go out hunting ever since when I was a little boy. Today, it's not the same. Today, the weather is not predictable anymore. Snow, ice, doesn't get as thick as it used to be. Um, the Arctic, um, in the summertime, ice, ice is uh, melting in the Arctic. Uh, polar bears are um, used to be uh, hunting uh, uh, seals on the old ice. Because that ice is melting, they are no longer hunting on that old ice they used to and not um, able to go uh, on the ice and hunt seals. So many polar bears are coming into our communities looking for food. And that has become uh, dangerous for the people, for us Inuit hunters, in our communities. Springtime comes in earlier. Uh, fall time comes in later. Uh, we have um, robins coming into our communities in the Arctic. And um, the glaciers in the Arctic, they're sliding down into the ocean from the, from the big mountains. Uh, so um, um, there is a lot of problem with the uh, climate change in the Arctic. We now have also extreme cold temperatures in the winter time. So instead of uh, minus 30 in the winter, minus 40, minus 50, we now have minus 60 in the winter time, minus 70. So uh, we now have extreme, extremely cold temperatures in the Arctic that we are experiencing today. So that's my story about the impact of climate change and global warming. My name is Jennifer Lassimbang. I come from the Katazan community. Katazan community, we live in the uh, island of Borneo. I'm from the state of uh, Sabah, uh, Malaysia. And I'm here in Sharma Sheikh for COP27. My community is divided into many different parts. Um, we mainly live in the, you know, urban, suburban. We have the coastal community. We have communities living in... Um, by, by the, the rivers and also uh, the mountain. And what climate change is doing to us mainly is the, the, the intensity of rainfall and unpredictable weather. And we've been getting a lot of rainfall and intensity is huge. So you can imagine the flooding that's happening uh, in my area. And we are mostly agriculturists. We plant wet rice. So we can't predict anymore when it's the planting season, when it's the harvest season, and there's just way too much damage in our livelihood and our territories. We are losing our um, natural resources. There's massive landslides up in the mountain. 
Um, I think our island communities are slowly uh, suffering from the rising sea. So it affects every part of our communities back home. It's really uh, the negotiation between governments and governments um, doing, you know, policies and looking at what the, the science is teaching them. But what I really want as an indigenous person is the recognition of what indigenous knowledge uh, can contribute towards uh, mitigating um, uh, the effects of climate change. And we really need uh, the government to, our respective uh, governments, to recognize that the, the rights of the people, even uh, the security of tenure on where we live, our lands, our territories. And also, we really, really need emergency. This is the climate emergency. It's not just, a, you know, we wait until we get the, the right policy on board. No, it's really about action and uh, we, the indigenous communities and indigenous people on the ground, we are trying our best with very little resources and on, on top of being um, not being recognized, we do not have the resources to go further and do more uh, based on what we already know for time, for years, I mean thousands of years that we have been doing. So the recognition of the rights of the indigenous people and towards the, the mitigation of climate change. And we know, we do not have to tell you how much indigenous communities are suffering from climate change, but we really do need the governments to take action to respect the rights of the indigenous people and also the knowledge behind uh, what indigenous people can do. Well, let's work together. You know, there's no time for uh, working in silos and not recognizing who we are. Um, we are. We are here to help. We are here to ensure that we have a future for our children. Hi, my name is Hindu Umaru Ibrahim. I'm from Chad. I'm from the Mbororo Pastoralist Communities. My communities are living the direct access of the climate impact. We are the victim of the loss and damage currently when I'm speaking now. We have the flood that flood all our home and flood our crops. And last year we have the drought that kill all our, our animals. And then climate change is impacting us in every daily life to the food insecurity, to our economy, to our land and territories. We are here at the COP27 to meet all indigenous peoples at the preparatory meeting, the indigenous peoples caucus, to discuss about our different problems, but also to share our solutions and solidarity, to have our own common point in order to present them during the negotiations and to have the indigenous people rights, knowledge, to be in the negotiations, but to get direct access funding for our peoples that can mitigate the effect of the climate change that is happening back home. Thank you. I'm Edna Kaptoyo from the Pokot Peoples of Kenya. I work for Pawanka Fund. I'm here at COP27 because our communities, the Pokot peoples, even those in African communities as indigenous people, we are facing a lot of climate change impacts like extreme heat resulting in drought, uh, extreme rainfall resulting in a lot of flooding or even less rainfall in, in some cases. And this has impacted our food security and also our mobility as a people and also our societal well-being. Um, why am I here at the COP? I feel this is an important space because now it's time to call for action. We've been meeting for over 26 years, but no action has been implemented on the ground by our governments, a lot of financial commitments, 
and as indigenous people, we have different traditional knowledge that is used to build our climate resilience. And so we are calling on our government to respect our rights and support these initiatives that are being led at the community level by indigenous people to respond to climate change. That was Edna Koptoyo, one of the indigenous leaders taking part in the COP27 conference, which has been happening from November 6th to 18th, 2022, in Sham al-Sheikh, Egypt. That's it for today. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR remotely in Ohineho, or Littleton, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and broadcast across the stolen lands known as Australia through the Community Radio Network. All the interviews from the show were recorded by Cultural Survival for their Indigenous Rights radio program. You can find more of their work at www.cs.org forward slash rights. This show and all our previous radioactive podcasts can be found at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. If you want to get in touch with us, please email on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future that includes climate justice. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.